Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and I'm here with the Makers of Minnesota podcast, a podcast about the people in our communities that are entrepreneurs, innovators, and actually making the state of Minnesota great with their ideas and their energy that they bring. If you are listening to this podcast and you've been enjoying it, we're on episode six. If you could leave an iTunes rating, I would really appreciate it. If you would share the show, show on your social media sites, that would be helpful too. Always good to get the word out. We are on social media, and you can follow us at Twitter at Makers of MN. We also have a Facebook page. And on our Instagram feed, which is also Makers of MN, we are reintroducing you to some of the makers of Minnesota and sharing some of their content as they are in the field um, making the state of Minnesota great. So we are on episode six today. Episode five, I'll share with you just a little behind the scenes. I had a great interview with Jennifer Cermak from Nani Nalu. She's got a store at 50th and France Nidina. She makes swimwear. And we talked for about 45 minutes. And I'm really inspired by Jennifer. She's such a great person. And I realized at the end of the interview that I did not hit record. So in the world of broadcasting and podcasting, that is a big fail. So we laughed about it, and I will have her uh, come back in studio so we can spend some more time with her. But Jennifer, thank you for being such a good sport. That was, I went and told my boss, and she was like, well, I bet you won't do that again. So that's kind of how, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business person, you make stupid mistakes that you only make once or try to make once. A person who has not made many mistakes, as far as I can tell, is uh, CEO and co-founder of the Parasole Group, Phil Roberts, who's my guest today. Hi, Phil. Hi, Stephanie. So I said you haven't made any mistakes, but I'm sure as you're sitting in that chair as an entrepreneur and a maker in this town, you're thinking, oh, I've made plenty. No, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes. I think the key is uh, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. You know, I think that's probably right. And I... I went home that day and I felt, I was so embarrassed and I felt so bad because I'd really had a great conversation with Jennifer and I was like, well, all I can do is move forward, right? You'll never do it again. That's right. I probably won't. So Phil is the founder and CEO of Parasole. Uh, your partner, I want to make sure I mention him, is Peter Mihailov. That's correct. Okay. And he's kind of more the silent partner, it seems like, of the, of the duo. And obviously you guys have a huge, um, group of employees that are making this happen at this point. But when you started, were you? How did you guys meet? Well, we met in college. We were selling shoes together. And uh, where did you work? Were you local? Uh, it, well, no, University of Illinois in Champaign. Okay. And um, then we each went our separate ways, and then happened to run into each other a couple of years later in Minneapolis, where he was working for Pillsbury, and I had my own company. And we resumed our friendship. And uh, Pete and I. Uh, you know, Pete's involved in a lot of in a lot of stuff. He's uh, on several boards. Yep. He's, he's bright as can be, um, and he and I complement uh, one another. Uh, I don't know a debit from a credit, and Pete knows all about that kind of stuff. So it's that's it's funny that you mentioned that you're the CEO of Parasole. You guys have uh, right now. Let's get, I'll give the rundown here. You've got Salute. You've got Burger Jones. You've got Manny's. You've got Chino Latino. You've got um, Mozzarella Mia and Matsumia. Um, you've got you had Buca. You had Ocean Air, and you spun those off. You had Filio Elgato. Is was it Primo? Was that one yours too? No, that wasn't ours. We have Pittsburgh Blue. Okay, Pittsburgh Blue. I forgot and about that. Two, and you've got two, two locations two of those. Of those. Yes. And I've heard that might be expanding. Is yes, that true? Right. Yeah, we're, we're looking to do that. Yes. Okay. And your latest venture um, is Field Day, uh, which is part of the Good Earth. Uh, you're going to be opening a fast casual restaurant in Ridgedale. That's correct. And then I don't want to forget Muffaletta because I think That's that was original. your first restaurant. 1977. All right, so you guys you guys meet up and you decide, hey, we're gonna go ahead and start a, a restaurant chain. I mean, in no, this not a chain, not, not a chain. Just uh, we were both foodies. Pete was traveling to the West Coast a lot on business. I was traveling to the East Coast. In my travels, my clients on, in New York took pity on me because I was a kid from flyover country. <laughs> and, 
you know, and all about meat and potatoes and not much else, you know, and, you know, pretty good meat and potatoes, you know, do my roast beef well done, <laughs> and make my mashed potatoes. With and a little, little gravy. Yeah, gravy, yes, no lumps in the gravy, you know, and all of that, and good Lord, my clients took pity on me in New York and were taking me to all the hottest, newest restaurants in New York, and I'd come home, and my God, I had just had quiche Lorraine, or I had just had spaghetti with white sauce. Right. And Pete was coming back with similar ideas, and we'd get together on weekends and cook and try to outdo each other on what we what we made. And this little restaurant in St. Louis Park, or in uh, St. Anthony Park, became available, and we just decided to buy it one day. And when you bought it, because you were a marketing guy. No, Pete was the marketing guy. You were, Pete was the marketing guy. Mm-hmm. And what role would you say was yours? Creative guy. Okay. So just you had the idea of what the food would look like well, or recently, feel like? Well, I'd recently... What what I wanted to do and what Pete wanted to do as well was bring some of the experience that we'd been seeing on both coasts because, you know, trends happen there first. Sure. And and bring some of that stuff uh, to the to the Twin Cities because the Twin Cities was pretty much a you know, culinary wasteland. I mean, you know, they had Charlie's and Harry's and some of those places that were good. Some really good, yeah. yeah. But, but they were all of a kind pretty much and there was not much adventure, not much wit, not much uh, – inventiveness and we thought well you know this could be a, a nice place to test some of our ideas that we've seen that we have found popular and that, that's uh, that was the idea of opening muffaletta when you started it did you literally work in the business every day or was it yeah i worked in the business uh every day pete was still at pillsbury uh i was in the business every day but i'm not a i'm not an operator i, I... it's what kind of astounds me about you to be honest is I started a printing and direct mail company with my husband, and we had no direct mail experience. You started a restaurant company, and you were, of the two of you, you were the eater. Yeah. You, you were the creative energy. You were the guy who would go out, and he was the eater and would bring these ideas back and try to cultivate them. But right. you didn't have restaurant experience. None. You weren't an operator, and still to this day, don't see I'm yourself an as an operator. No, I'm not. I've got, you know, I always hire people smarter than me and much smarter than me. And uh, that's the way our company has been been built, you know, I, I like to eat and that's why I did the restaurant. I didn't realize that occasionally if the dishwasher didn't show up, I'd be mopping the dishes <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. So I've done that, been there, done that, don't like it. And um, uh, so I've just made it a point to, you know, bring in really almost people so smart, they're almost freaks of nature. Yeah. They're really, really good at what they do. And Muffaletta is still going strong. It's a neighborhood years, restaurant. It does years. a great job. Yeah. It seems like it's reinvented itself a number of times yes. just in terms of staying fresh and up to date. Yep. Yep. Um, great happy hour, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, which of the restaurants that you operate now are you proudest of? Oh, God. I, I do get asked that. Which one do you like to eat at most? It, it's. Is there one that like they're all good to eat at? Let's just say that. I mean, it depends. It depends on your on your your frame of mind and your mood that day. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to have a busy day today, and I'm going to go home from work at six o'clock tonight. And I'm not, even though Manny's is one of my all time world class favorites. Yep. I'm not going to want to take the effort to drive downtown Minneapolis tonight and go to Manny's. I'll probably run over to Matsumi or go next door to Salute and have a hamburger or something. You know, I just uh, I, I can re- that good people, onion soup people, burger. Well, yes, you can do that. The French onion soup burger. People are are motivated by their moods and what kind of a day they have and what kind of a frame of mind they're in and how ambitious they they want to be. Stephanie, I was in Honolulu at a conference. I was speaking at a conference in Honolulu when nine eleven happened. Wow! And we were stuck. Yeah, we were stuck. And it wasn't as if you got out the Hertz office and rent a car and drive home and no airlines were flying or, or anything else. We finally got out about five or six days later. And I said to Joanne on the flight, I said, when we get home tonight, I said, I just want to go down to Manny's. And I want to sit in the bar and I want to get in the booth and I want to hide. And she says, well, do you really want steak tonight? And I said, you know, it's not about the steak. I want to go someplace where I can cocoon, where I can feel safe, where it's familiar cozy. That's, that was my motivation. It had nothing to do with the steak. So a lot of it depends on where your brain is and how, you, how you, where your emotions are and where you want to go. And listening to you describe that experience is, I think, what makes you so successful at what you do, because it's about the food, of course. Mm-hmm. And if the food isn't good, then it's just not good. Yeah. 
But there is something about the experience and the way that you make people feel from the front of the house to the decor to the music. All of those things add up together to make a good experience. And you seem to do that so seamlessly. Well, you know, Pete has an, has an expression. You know, all restaurateurs right now are facing really, really strong headwinds. Yep. Uh, it's government action. It's $15 an hour minimum wage. It's no tip credit. It's uh, medical. medical. Yep. It, it's just real rising food costs. It, it's really, you know, and what restaurants do, they've got you know, three lousy choices in that kind of an environment. You can raise prices. Yep. You can cut portions or you can cut quality. And those are three lousy choices. We have elected to, as minimally as we can, raise prices and not screw up the experience. Right. We aren't going to suddenly take a eight-ounce filet and turn it into a six-ounce filet and charge the same price. We right. We aren't going to do it. We'd rather raise the price by a buck and, and have the experience be there. We aren't going to suddenly give servers eight table stations when they should have five to save two servers. Yep. Right, you know, and then... We aren't going to cut staff in the kitchen so the ticket times, instead of being 15 minutes, they're 30 minutes. Yeah. We just aren't going to do it because people, you know, and, and that's maybe unique to the segment we're in. We aren't in the fast food or or really in the fast casual business. We're in that polished end of casual. Yep. You know, so people's expectations are generally rather high when they come into one of our places and you can't disappoint them. Yeah. So, you know, just make it make it right. Well, and let's talk about, so Good Earth comes on board mm-hmm. in this. It was your second restaurant, right? Well, we merged with another uh, little company that had the uh, licensing rights to Good Earth. Good okay. Earth started in California. A fellow by the name of Bill Galt. He was a nuts and berries hippie guy, but, but really <laughs> he was also a chemist and a you know, nutritionist. Sure. Really, really brilliant. And um, uh, we merged with the company and we inherited then the Good Earth in the mid-80s. And... Uh, the two partners have since left, and Pete and I have the... Uh... Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here. Check out my brand-new podcast, Two-Week Notice, where we discuss the process of quitting your job and living a more fulfilling life. I want you living the dream. Find Two-Week Notice on my website, jaredsebesta.com, or subscribe on iTunes today. Good Earth is so interesting to me because you talk about natural wholesomeness, unprocessed. Right. I feel like you were kind of the pioneers in we're, that in the Twin were, Cities. Uh, maybe in the nation. Okay. And so now you're taking that to the next level, which is doing a fast casual concept right. with it. Right. It's going to be called Field Day. It's going to open in Ridgedale in the fall. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a spinoff that I would assume if it goes well, you'd like to replicate. Oh, of course. Of, of course. Yeah. I mean, the the mission one is to make that one successful. If it isn't successful, you'll never build it. Right. So, uh, but yes, it has all the um, the DNA of something that could could roll out and become several stores. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of surprised that you haven't really done a fast casual up until this point. Yeah. Is there a reason that now felt like the right time to do that? Well, I I, th- I think that people's dining habits have some. Somewhat changed millennials in particular. Millennials are coming on on, on board, and there's several things that they want. They uh, they do want speed. Yep. They don't have the brand loyalty that uh, people my age uh, have. Um, they want it to be wholesome and natural and real. And they want to know what's in it. They want to know what's in it. You know, I mean, today's you know you you walk through Lunds or Byerly's, moms read labels. Yeah. Moms read labels. And that's a real shift in the last 10 years. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah. My daughter uh, has two children, or three, actually three, and she won't take them uh, any place other than the good earth. Yeah. Because she's not going to put anything in their little tummies that's uh, not as pure as the wind-driven snow. Yeah. And that's super different. I mean, because we ate Swanson's turkey dinners. Yeah. My, you know, I grew up on Wonder Bread ladled with bacon grease. and. Yep. And and it was delicious at the time. <laughs> All right. So if we look at the trajectory of your career here, mm-hmm. people look at Parasole, I think, locally. And you've, I compared you in my own growing up food life to like the Lettuce Entertain News. Oh, yeah, Melman. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, wow, this is like our own little version of that. Mm-hmm. Not so little. 
you did uh, chains that you spun off and had a lot of success with, like mm-hmm. the Bukas of the world and the Oceanaires of the right. world. Are you always, when you develop a restaurant, thinking about where to take it next? Or do you really start with just that one and like, let's see how it goes? You you really start with the one. You know, I can't help to have it always in the back of my brain. Yep. That if Burger Jones just really hits it out of the park, boy, we ought to do another and another. Yeah. Another. Um, but it's it's not top of mind. What What's top of mind is making the initial one successful. Because I get – I can get a little bored doing cookie-cutter yeah. concepts. You know, the first buka was fantastic. It was really, really fun. It, it was over at Harmon Place, still, right? Still there, My office yeah. is right across the street. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in lines outside, you know, 50 people outside in February at 10 below zero and waiting in line. And it was really a blast. And the second one was a blast. And the third one was really fun. And the fourth one was – good and the fifth one was a little boring Mm -hmm. and by the 10th and 15th i was bored stiff i just can't be a one-trick pony yep so i i like the variety of uh, doing different ones and when you think about um i heard a story once about chino that that you had taken and i think you do this a lot you take your management team on trips oh yes and that the way that Chino kind of came together was that you literally took them on trips to hot zones around the world to eat. Yeah. And what what happened was my wife and I were in Bangkok. And if you've ever been to Bangkok, you know how dreadfully hot and humid uh, it can be, 110 degrees and dew point of 180 or something. Right. And what we discovered was when the sun went down at night, people just crawled out of the woodwork. I don't know where they came from. And... All along the streets were these hundreds and hundreds of street vendors. Yep. They were selling everything from chicken wings to chicken feet to octopus to cotton candy to Slurpees to you know, just, just name it. Sure. And I said to my wife, I said, my God, I said, I think this could work in Minneapolis. And she says, oh, Phil, she says, it goes <laughs> against everything you've ever said. And I said, what, what have I ever said? And she says, you've always said that there's too much Lutheran DNA yep. in Minnesota to, to do anything adventuresome. And I said, no, no, no. I said, the reason is it's uh, magic of it is it's small plates. It's little plates, two, two, $3, $4, something like that. So if you try octopus and you don't like it, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. You know. And so that was the genesis of Chino. And I wrote the menu on the plane on the way back, got back and read that the incidence of dining out on Asian food is like once every seven weeks. Mm-hmm. But the incidence... Incidents of dining out on Mexican food is like once every three and a half weeks. I thought, well, how can I how can I throw those two culinary cultures together? And that's where it became Chino Latino. The other name we had, by the way, was Mikasa Sumatra, which was also a good name. That is a good name. Yeah, but um, uh, Tim Alavisos from Supervox Agency, who we work with on all of our marketing and our advertising, uh, ever uh, came up with the came up with the names, and we dubbed it Street Food from the Hot Zone. And then what I did before we opened the restaurant, I sent a team of about five people to Bangkok, to Hong Kong, to Mexico, uh, Singapore. Phuket, was it? Pardon me? Did you did they go to Phuket? I thought I had heard that you'd gone to Thailand, too. Yes, they did go to – yes, they went to Bangkok. Oh, they Bangkok, went, they sorry. Went to Phuket. Yes, they, yes, they did. And then they came back and refined what I had put together as kind of a, a skeletal uh, draft of a menu. And they refined that, and we opened it in 1999. And one of the things you have on the menu there that just sticks out is the guinea pig. Yeah. Uh, and it's not bad. It tastes like chicken. It does taste like chicken, <laughs> but it's so weird because it's, it's just like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, who has the balls in this town to serve a guinea pig? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a national dish maybe kind of like turkey at thanksgiving yeah it really is in ecuador and some of those places and i think uh, guys bring their girlfriends in to impress them that uh, yep. and they order the order the rat oh gosh it does look like a skinned <laughs> like rat, a rat too yeah, you like have this nice poo poo platter presentation but it's like, when you get it down to it it looks like but a skinned you, rat you see their little feet and the claws and stuff yep you know? it's a little funny i'm not gonna lie um so 
I've, I've often thought that Chino Latino actually could be a good fast casual concept as we're getting right. more into the ethnic right. foods. Yeah. It, it, it could. And we, we have, we have talked about that, uh, Chino and, and we may, and we may do a fast sure. casual Chino. Um, but, uh, right now Chino is viewed upon as, uh, kind of a rite of passage for young women. I always think about, you know, Chino's naughty. Yep. And I think about, Little Muffy that lives out in Minnetonka, her wife's at her, but her, you know, little Muffy's mom doesn't want her to go to Chino Latino. Right. And coming into the heart of Uptown. And and that makes Muffy want to go there all the more. Well, and you've always done that. You've always gotten people like from the Western suburbs that frankly never go anywhere that's not near their place. You've gotten them to come into downtown. You've gotten them to come into Uptown. Mm -hmm. You must consciously think about that in the way you just described it. Well, I... Yeah, I mean, you look for holes in the market. You 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 look for opportunities. You know, it it, it didn't take a, a any sense of brilliance to open Buka, for example. Right. When I did Buka in the mid nineteen nineties, I observed that at the end of World War II, there were twenty five million Southern Italians that came immigrated to this country, uneducated, dirt poor. A wretched life in southern Italy it was war ravaged and everything else. Yeah. And these people weren't educated and, and, and all this. Kind. But 25 million came to America and they opened mom and pop restaurants. That right. was what they could do. They were good cooks. And in the mid 1990s, mom and pop were getting old. Mom and pop were dying. That's smart. Yeah. The kids wanted dot com. They wanted nothing to do with the restaurant business. So all these beloved institutions in all the little Italys all over the nation were just. Closing their doors. You remember yeah. Cafe de Napoli? I do. Shios. I mean, all these, you know, these yep. people were just shutting. Donatelli's. Yeah, Donatelli's, yes. And so, and the Italian restaurants that were opening were all kind of sleek and slick and beveled glass and marble and glass and, you know, kind of for the Armani crowd with the sweaters tied around the neck and yep. the glasses on top of the head and the women, you know, blowing air kisses all over, you know, yep. as they come in, in the place. And I wanted to differentiate myself from that and kind of revive these old world beloved restaurants. And I, I remember I termed it, I want a, a restaurant that is sleeves up dining. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe better sleeves up eating. And bibs. And bibs, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it, it didn't take a, a bunch of creative juice to come up with that. It was just observing what was going on. Same thing with Ocean Air. Minneapolis had, uh, what's the one over in St. Anthony, um, that was there. I can't remember the name of that was kind of the better one. And Red Lobster. There was nothing. Right. There was no deal. There was, you know, Manny's is a deal closing place. I mean, yeah. When you, when you go public or you sell your company, you celebrate at Manny's. There was no seafood alternative to that. And the Twin Cities was void of uh, decent seafood restaurants. And you did Ocean Air that has since been sold to Landry's, correct? To Landry's, yeah. Um, when you sell a restaurant, like, so you sell it to Landry's, which mm-hmm. makes total sense because mm-hmm. they have seafood restaurants all over the country. Mm-hmm. Does that make you feel like, obviously your pocketbook is happy, but is there a certain amount of sadness? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, they are, they are your babies, you know? I yeah. Mean, you, you, you remember the day that you labored over, you know, how to present that piece of fish, you know, is it six ounces? Is it seven? Is it eight? Do you, does the sauce go on the bottom sauce? You know, I mean, I mean, you 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 think about all these yeah. things that went through your mind at the time, and um, yeah, it, it is a little bit. Um, you do have the best crab cake ever. I feel it, like well, you for yeah. sure were in Baltimore eating crab cakes. It, it, it was well, that, that's I was at Fadley's and Fadley's in Baltimore. In the yes, market, and Fadley's is the one that sent the crab cake to the moon, and that's the one uh, I lived there. So well, I you know Fadley's then. And uh, yeah, and when I had that crab cake at Ocean Air mm-hmm. uh, when it was yours. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah. this is that this is that is. same crab cake. It is. Yeah, I mean, there's no no substitute for you know 100 percent crab. Do you? One of the things that I think comes through in your restaurants and your food is a couple things. One, they're very fun. Hmm? You seem like you're kind of a funny, lighthearted guy. Are you, or is that just what you like to present? We aren't curing cancer. <laughs> no, you're not. We're not. You know, we're we're providing a setting where people can go forget the crap that went on in their day, or they can get. Engaged, they can announce that they're getting divorced. Yep, you know it's 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 just a venue where people can go and and um, a lot of our restaurants don't have windows, and that's one of the reasons that they don't have is that we want them in our environment to be in a different world. We want to transport people someplace. Yeah, that's interesting. When you think about um, 
the marketing that you've done for these restaurants, you, I worked at City Pages at the time, or it was mm. Twin Cities Reader, one of the publications. We wrote an article about the Chino Latino billboards, and they were very controversial. Oh, yeah. Um, when you do marketing like that, you said you've worked with the same company for a very long time. Do you, I mean, you must know, like, oh, this is going to poke the Lutherans in the eye and it's going to be controversial. Well, that's, you've, that's the point. Uh, because we can't outspend, you know, I get up in the morning and I turn on the TV. And Red Lobster is having its shrimp fest or yep. crab, crab fest is this right now. And, you know, the, the butter is bouncing off the plate. And, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, and, and they, they're spreading that cost of that TV spot over 15, 20 stores in the Twin Cities. You know, I can't do that. I've got to have one one store take all the burden. And be super impactful. Yeah. So we you have to break through. You have to you, your message has to trump the amount of coverage that you're getting. Is that harder to do than it used to be in the days of social media and how fast the culture's moving? I don't know that it's I don't know that it's any harder. We use a lot of social media as as well. We 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 don't use as much paid media as we as as we used to. But Do you do social media yourself? Like do you well, follow do you have a Twitter account and I have a blog. Okay. Hey, you should look I up. I know about your blog. It's they, called Wine uh Travel and Food. WTF. WTF. I thought that was a brilliant name. I have to be honest well, with that you. that came from Tim Alavisos at Supervox. Okay, they're, good. Because I was sitting they're, they're, there thinking, I never have good ideas. Why does no, he have all no, the good I ideas? Need, I, I, I have the, the right person to, um, to interpret what it is. That, and is your blog for uh, Twin Cities Business? Is that? I I don't know. You know, I, I, I've got one breaking today. That's, uh, no, I don't think it's necessarily for businesses. It's, it's Maybe more of a chronicle of my my life. And there's a lot of travel in it. There's a lot of travel in it. And I say today's blog is breaking, and it's on uh, breast chickens. Well, 99% of the people aren't going to know what a breast chicken is, but I tell them. What is a breast chicken? A breast chicken is from a specific area in France, uh, a little bit south of Burgundy, north of Lyon. Okay. And there it's a designated uh, area by the government, just like wine wine is. It's a chicken that is fed a certain way. It is a red, white, and blue chicken. It has a red comb, white feathers, and blue feet. So it emanates the French flag. Yep. Um, there are only a few produced. They are not produced in the United States. Okay. There is a uh, there is a bluefoot chicken that is raised in California, but it's not quite the not, not quite the same. And so you know. Those it's it's a very limited thing. Those those folks that might be tra- might be traveling to France this summer. You know the euros yeah. favorable and all that. I would if, have s- sought it out. It, and I, I name I name in this in this blog I name three restaurants to go to. I saw that. Yeah, and they're they're all different. But Where they, were you when I was going to France earlier in the summer? I had like I was in France earlier in the summer. Oh, God, I, I June third to the twenty third or fourth. I always want to reach out to people like you or Andrew Zimmer, and I travel. Yeah. I travel a lot as well, mm-hmm. not as much as you, but a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've never had awesome French food in France. I've had, you know, t- culturally significant. I've had traditional. I've been to the classic bistros. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I am always so surprised that for a country that has such phenomenal food, that it's hard to get it. It's hard to find it. Well, you know, and I'm not a big fan of four-star yeah, Michelin restaurants. I, 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 I like. I don't really like dining like that either. It's special it's occasion to me. Long. Yeah, it's just too long and too precious. And too long is a good way to describe yeah, it. It is. You know, your butt gets sore. <laughs> you have, to, have to keep going. But, but France, you know, France is pretty much a slave to their cuisine. You know, there's rules and regulations yeah. that were started by Paul Bocuse and the Scoffier and all, all this kind of stuff. And so they may not vary that much from one another where london in the past 15 years has just exploded yes it has and the variety i i prefer london as a dining capital than i do paris yep paris ain't bad you don't get me wrong yep paris ain't bad and if you go give me a call i, I will i'll check in with you next time yeah. um you travel a ton mm-hmm. um and traveling seems to inform what you're doing mm-hmm. you you know you're not necessarily in the prime of your career is a nice way of saying you're mm-hmm. getting older do mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, gee, I should stop doing this or I should move on to the next thing? Or do you just think you'll, this is what you do and you'll just keep doing it till you can't anymore? This is, this is what I do. This is my golf. No. 
I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what else I would do. I, um, and you still genuinely seem to love it. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I, I come when I come back from your, and, and you're going through immigration and customs. And yep. The place where you present your passport. I always get confused. They say, uh, "Was this business or pleasure?" <laughs> I and, never thought about that. And I think I'm thinking, you know, I took over a thousand photos. You know, I learned just a bundle of shitload of stuff. Yep. And um, but yet I was drinking a lot of wine. Yeah. And having a good, you know, what is this? Is that work or is that you know? I, I cannot I cannot draw the distinction between work and pleasure. I can hardly wait to get to work in the morning. So you take your thousand pictures. Do you then bring them back to the people that you work with and say, "Look at these," or do you look back on them read, and try read to my, read my pre blog before last? It was on. I have a database with that, that I put those images in, and I have seventy thousand culinary images uh, in there. And you can slice and dice it in keyword. For example, if I see a bread presentation at a place, okay, yeah. Before, when Brown Photo was still around, I'd come back and I'd have the picture and I'd put it in an album. Yep. And I'd say bread. Then I'd have to have another picture made and I would say New York. Then I'd have another picture made and it would have to say Palm Restaurant. Okay. And then I'd have another one said that pretzel bread. Yep. You know, and all of a sudden I had all these unwieldy volumes of, of stuff. Well, with Downsizing and yeah, computers and, and, and all that. I can now take that one picture and I can just list all those words and I can hit the palm and up comes that bread presentation. I can hit bread basket, up comes the presentation, and I can sit with my chefs and say if they're thinking about a new bread presentation for Pittsburgh Brewers. Yeah. Say, well, you know, this is what so-and-so does in Los Angeles. Now now take a look at this. This, this, this is what La Caron does in Paris. Can you remember all that? Yeah. So you have a good memory for what you've seen and yes. – yeah, because I would think after seventy thousand images, no, it'd be I, hard to. I, I think I think I know every image in that. Have you? Can, you see now? Is it all uh, categorized electronically? And do oh, you electronically? It's it's just you know because you, you can slice and dice uh, any number of ways. You can put any word on it, and it'll come up. If I'm not sure if it was uh, Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, you know, I can. Punch Pittsburgh, and if that's the right one, it'll come up. If it doesn't come up on that, I'll punch Philadelphia, and bang, there it is. Neat. Yeah. As you look at your picture of 70,000 pictures, Mm -hmm. is there a concept that you want to try that you haven't yet that's rumbling around in your brain? Hmm. Well, I've been pretty focused on field day. Yep. Right now. Um. And are you just, I'm, I'm asking like a million questions, yeah, but okay. when you're looking at field day, for example, are you going through this Rolodex in your head of 70,000 pictures yeah, and thinking ingredient-wise yeah. how you can replicate them? Well, I, I, I do. And, and, you know, I have a category in my database called Fast Casual. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I probably have um, 12, 1,500 images of Fast Casual restaurants yep. around the world. Uh, I have a category called Nutrition, and I probably have eight or nine Hundred images of nutrition, but then we have also really, you know, I said I always surround myself with people smarter than I am. Uh, Tim McKee, who you probably know. Yeah, of. I was going to ask well, you about you know, him in a bit. I mean, you you have to. He's got a zillion ideas in his head, and then Donna Foz, who runs, who's our chief operating officer. Yep. So between Tim and myself and Donna, we're able to fashion. And, and mold a, a menu that's going to have appetite appeal that people are going to understand. That's going to be good for you. That's going to be natural. It's going to have all the all the ingredients that uh, that people are wanting to eat today that are good for you. What's weird about so when you travel in Europe, for instance, you're only able to eat what is grown there, what is there for the most part. There isn't the same grocery store mentality and packaged good mentality. Right. So you get exposed to a lot of ingredients that maybe you wouldn't normally cook with because that's what's there in that time. Um, like I'm thinking of, I was in Campania, and I'm I'm just thinking of um, the vegetables there. Mm-hmm. And we've traveled and been on islands in Italy where, you know, all you have is the goat in the back mm-hmm. and whatever they're growing in the back mm-hmm. of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like that European style of dining better than the array of choices in the United States? Well, I, I like to be respectful of the region that I'm in and the season that we're in. 
you know, you, you're not going to do strawberries in January. And, you know, and so, so you, it, it's important that, I mean, just take Italy for an example. And I spent a lot of time both northern Italy and southern Italy yep. and, and, and Sicily. Well, the south of Italy is poor. Yep. They don't eat a whole lot of meat, you know, on their uh, on their pasta. Instead of Parmigiano Reggiano being grated over it, it's breadcrumbs. Yep. You know that substitutes for Parmigiano uh, Reggiano. It's uh, normal cows can't live in the south of Italy because it's too hot. So that's yep. they imported water buffalo from India, and that's where they get the buffalo mozzarella. So you you try to be really respectful of all that. That sort of thing, and, and eat what is what is there. Now, I, I'm not a big thing on eating really weird, except on occasion. And you and Andrew Zimmern aren't going to hang out and eat. No, I'm not. You eat know, the bugs, and, 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 <laughs> bugs, you know, and bless him. I don't know how he does it, but he, but he, he's he's a wonder, he's a wonderful guy. He is, and uh, I love him to death. But um, I, I try to stay pretty much in things that might be relevant to what we do. Um. You know, I was in. Uh, I went to this restaurant in, uh, in in Paris called Le Coq Rico, which specializes in breast chickens. Well, mm-hmm. one of their appetizers was a real snout to tail kind of a thing, and it was an appetizer of chicken hearts, duck hearts, chicken liver, calamari, and I forget what else. And how all that came together has got to be unique. It, it's it's I've never seen it before. Yeah, and. Uh, my ten-year-old grandson ordered it and ate it. You know, now that's not going to be relevant. Nobody is ever going to eat a duck heart at Salute or Muffalette or yeah. any place. So that that's kind of outside of the outside of the realm. But uh, I, I am a fan of Fergus Henderson in London, who, yep. who does the whole thing with uh, with the Saint John and the snout to tail. Yep. Stuff and um, uh, April Blumenfeld probably April Blumenfeld, New yes. York based. Yep. 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 And uh, her too. And um, Mario Batali. Uh, I, I think he's 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 a showman, but he's good. Yeah, he is a good chef. Yeah. And uh, so I try to do things that that have some sort of a relevance to what we do. Occasionally, I get out of that box. Yeah, just got to try. Are you at all interested in the sort of uh, cocktail culture, the breweries, the the wineries, so the, that whole side of the business that's sort of come up? Not so much. No, I um, we we have important folks in our organization. Of course, that are. They're yeah, very, very. You have some great cocktails at Chino, and we're one of the first people yes. I can recall that were doing really craft cocktails there. Correct, correct. No, I and and this is the same at Prohibition and the yep. same at the living room done. You know, uh, I'm very respectful of that I I'm not a cocktail guy. Guy, do you drink wine? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and love wine. I, I I love wine. You know, I'm I'm not. Um, I'm not an expert by any means. On it, uh, I drink at home. I drink cheap. Yeah, that's funny. What's your cheap go-to wine that you buy when you three buck check? Really? Yeah, that surprises me. Why? I don't know. You just seem like you'd be not drinking three buck chuck. Oh, but if I'm at a nice restaurant, I might drink a bottle of Kistler. Yeah, it's just. But so what I always I have a little secret wine shame to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I'll, uh, Sertic is a, a good friend of this radio station, a oh, good sure. friend of mine, yeah. and we'll go out and we'll have wine. And, you know, like I always tell him, like, I really can't tell the difference Precisely. between an $80 bottle of wine and an $8 bottle of wine that's, that's most times. That's where I mean, you know, I suppose if I drank them side by side. Yeah. You know, we, we, we would. We and would you did a tasting and, and tasting and all that. But, um, you know, it's kind of like pizza. The worst I ever had was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. I I feel that way too. Like some of this, they call it the Minnesota flat pizza. Yeah. yeah. Um, and people are just like, oh, it's so terrible. I mean, oh, I still like it if it's got a thick robe of cheese when oh, yeah. I cut it and it's in a square and yeah, it's perhaps learn. red Savoy. Yeah, I'm pulled out of the refrigerator. That's the next exactly morning. right. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, so talking food trends, are you, is there a reason you've never done a food truck? Is that like in your wheelhouse? Um, no. I, um, that just doesn't interest me because I, I don't see really. I don't. I don't think it's a good cultural fit with our company. I don't see how you could control the experience in the way that you yeah, want you, to. You can't, and and so that's um, that, that's another reason we've we 
passed on the biking stadium. That's another reason we passed on the airport. Yeah. It's because you don't have your people during, you know, the, the biking stadiums wanted manis in the worst way. Yeah. I mean, really in the worst way. And I understand that. But they wouldn't be our employees. That's why Certix, everybody asks yeah. about, like, why is Certix, they're leaving uh, Terminal 1 at the yes, airport. They, they were sort of pushed out, actually, yeah. if we're being candid. Yep. And everybody wants to know why, why, why? Well, for them to have their employees staff it and service it and be able to talk to customers mm-hmm. about that food and that experience, uh-huh. th- it wasn't going to be allowed anymore. Nope. They had kind of a grandfather thing that people mm-hmm. were phasing out. And mm-hmm. that... That's not your restaurant, then. That's not no, your concept. It, it it isn't, you know. And they sold wine by the bottle in that in that venue at uh, yep. the airport. And you know, you you don't want some, you know, twenty two year old kid who knows nothing about wine recommending a. I mean, yeah, you, you want to control the experience. Yeah. So that's the reason that we uh, that's the reason we passed on those. When you eat locally, like, and you don't eat at your own restaurants, where do you like? I don't go other place other. Than Really? When you're in town, you only eat at your own places. Wow. That surprises me, too. Well, there, there's there's a reason for it. I mean, first of all, I when you employ a bunch, particularly servers, waiters and waitresses, and you yep. employ a bunch of them, and, and that's not really their career. They, you know, they graduated with a degree in art history, and this is what they're doing because they yep. can't find a job. Someplace else, and they're with you for one, two, three years, and then they move on to another restaurant, and they move on to another restaurant. When my wife and I, if we go into a restaurant, name anyone, it wouldn't make much difference. Chances are one of our one of their employees has been with us at one time or another. Well, suddenly they're at my table. Suddenly the manager is over with a bottle of wine. Suddenly the evening isn't mine anymore. My wife and I just maybe want to have that. Yep, and you, you, it's it's intrusive. Yeah, so I um, I confine my dining to out of town, and so you just eat at home locally or well, in your own restaurants. Own Can restaurants. in your own restaurants will people respect that and kind of leave you alone? Oh, they know to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm I'm not rude or a anything, jerk, but, sure, but, but but they they understand, and it's important that I go to our own restaurants. Yeah, and check them out to, to check them out. You know, I mean, I. When I order a lettuce, a salad, I look to see if any of the lettuce is brown. Yeah. I want to make sure it's on a cold plate and not on a hot plate. And I mean, I take notes and I talk to the... And that's not a great relaxing experience for you and your wife either, probably. It's, it's not. I mean, you're you're keenly aware. Yeah. And you're looking at other tables. You know, is that, you know, that table... I was at Salute the other night and this table of three people were served four loaves of bread. I think, well, that's... What a waste. Yeah. It's because it goes in the wastebasket. Yep. You know, and, you know, see, so you, you just look at that kind of stuff and... Between you and Tim McKee, because I feel that way with Tim McKee, too, like he has employed mm-hmm. basically everyone through mm-hmm. his career, too. And mm-hmm. he he's such a generous spirit and he's oh, helped God. so many people in yeah. their careers. Yes, he, he, he has. He has mentored so, so many people. And he is he is such a nice, nice person. He is he's, a nice he's, person. He's really a sweet guy. Now, Tim goes out. He goes out to places in the Twin Cities. Yeah, he does it a lot. And that doesn't bother him. Uh, but uh me, I'd, I'd just soon get my inspiration from London or New York. Or- when he first came to work with you, I'll be honest, I was sort of like, oh, you know, in my mind, and I never said this to him, but I really was a fan of La Belle Vie, and my, I have some family history. They helped start that restaurant. They lived in the mm-hmm. 510 there and were on the sure. co-op, and okay. and I thought, oh, is, you know, Tim's selling out, and he's going corporate. When I spend actual time with you, mm-hmm. and certainly I've spent time with Tim since, mm-hmm. It makes total sense that he's working with oh, you. Oh, does. Yeah, no, he, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's such a joy to work with. He, he, he's the smartest culinarian I've ever been around in my life. Wow, that's saying a lot. You know, and, you know, and oddly enough, before he became a culinarian, he was working for me at Filio back in the day. Yep. As a line cook. God, I miss Filio. Yeah, I know. That was the dumbest thing I ever did. Could you just like retry? I mean, would it never just be the same? Is I that don't like it would be the same? And you know, I, I mean, one of the stupidest things I've ever said was uh, the old Dr. Seuss line that says, you know, "Don't be sad that it's over; be glad that it happened." And uh, I, I, I try to use that to 
save my soul. Yeah, because that really was, and I could see that concept still being strong today. I mean, be. it would be yeah. the way it reinvented itself. But, but see, that, that's that's the danger. That's the danger of having a short attention span. And would you say you have a short attention span and you struggle with God, that? Yes. Oh God, yes. I can imagine. Yeah. No, I. Uh, but Felio had had a run of 25 years. The rent was going up substantially. Yep. And I just had the itch to try something else. And as it turns out, that was really dumb. Yeah. And good for you for recognizing it and then moving on. You know, everybody, I didn't hit record on the last podcast as we started out. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... As we think about what's next, you're going to explore this fast casual. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I can see that being interesting for you. What do you, um, do you read magazines about food or just really get most of informed from your travel experience? You're, you're, you're getting into the very pathetic nature of my life. <laughs> uh, I subscribe to, I think it's 72 or 76 food-related, city-related publications. I subscribe to Miami Magazine, Los Angeles Magazine, Vegas, New York, New Yorker, Atlanta, Philadelphia, wow. Chicago, Kansas City. I subscribe to uh, several from South uh, South Africa and South America. Yeah. And I will go home tonight, and I will have a stack of probably eight or ten publications. Yep. Okay? And I, again, this is my pathetic existence. I'll sit in my chair... <laughs> And I'll probably turn on Pawn Stars, and I take the magazines one by Chumley. one. Chumley. Chumley, yeah, Chumley. Isn't he funny? <laughs> he is funny. <laughs> and I go through it, and I see this idea. I say, oh, that's that's kind of cool. Now, it could be a dish. Yeah. It could be a storefront. It could be a uniform. It could be an article. It could be whatever. Go into work the next day. My wife, who works alongside me, takes a stack of probably 30 or 40 images, scans them into the database. Yep. Keywords them, and I've got this chronicle then of everything that. And tomorrow night will be the same thing. I'll have another, so I'm able to see what's going on all over the world, culinarily. Uh, and they say not not just recipes, not just plating, not just but like colors and colors, you know, trends yeah, and you see the yin and the yang in the dishes. And yep. you think, Oh my God, this would work for this for blue, or this would work for muffaletta, or this yep. would work for manis, or you know whatever. And but that is that is my. Life at home is watching porn, st- porn stars and going through movies. Better porn stars than porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> pork stars. <laughs> Maybe that's the next restaurant. The pork stars pork, is the stars, nose yeah. to tail yeah, restaurant, yeah, 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 and yeah, you it, yeah. make all, every piece of the pork a star. Right. <laughs> See, we just concepted a restaurant right there. I do. Um, I do that too, but I don't have the database going, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I just have scraps of annoying pieces of paper mm-hmm. everywhere until the stack is so bad and so mm-hmm. unorganized that I literally just throw it away because I figure if I haven't gone back to the stack. I'll just create the next stack. Do you ever look at Lucky Peach? That's just a magazine I I think is phenomenal. I get Lucky Peach. David Chang. Yeah. Yeah, I I get that. That is such a... I like um, his restaurants in New York. And it's very just beautifully put together and it feels kind of edgy and trendy and I... um, Yeah, Lucky Peach is one of the ones. When I'm going to splurge. I miss having like a bookstore. I miss having a place where you can go and get all these different types of magazines. Yeah. Because the mainstream food magazines, they're great, but, you know, they are what they are. They're going out of business. I know. What are we going to do about that? And could you get that same textural feel? There's an app now. I think it's called Texture, where you can get, you know, all these magazines in the app for $9.99 a month. I'm not aware of that. I I don't know if I would or not. You know, I'm I'm an... I don't read newspapers online. I, I'd like to have it's very. I know, and I think hand. like, is this just our generation because we're getting old that we can't have that tactile experience? But it is different to have a book or well, a Kindle. It's, it's different because you, you know, and probably since you're in the business, you look at things much the same way I do. You know, when I pick up a magazine and I'm thumbing through it and I look at the photograph, I'm aware of the quality of paper that that has been printed on. Yeah. That's funny that you say that. Yeah, you know, because a lot of publications are going to cheaper paper and it absorbs the ink and they get yep. flat and they don't get a lot. They aren't vibrant. Same with the newspaper business the and newspaper, the newspaper yes. curls. Yep. And it's yep. just kind of a weird experience. That's right. Yeah. Printing has changed a lot. But there's also a lot of cool substrates and things that they're using, too. Correct. Um, all right. So you're you're watching uh, Pawn Stars. You're flipping through your magazines. Mm-hmm. Um 
when you look at the Twin Cities just as a business community, because mm-hmm. you mentioned that things have changed so much, are you when you travel, do you still like get to the MSP airport and you're happy to be home, or do you ever think about leaving here and moving somewhere else? No, I no no I I, I won't I won't live someplace else. I Minneapolis and Minnesota has a lot of things that are terribly anti-business. Mm-hmm. You know, and so many people at the state house or city hall they never even run a lemonade stand. They've never had to meet a payroll. They don't understand. Yep. When you know when they when they legislate all these these things and they they wonder why. Barella closed. They wonder why Sena closed. They wonder yep. why La Belle V closes. You know, it, you know. It, pretty soon you can't charge thirty bucks for a hamburger. You That's know, right. And absorb all these these costs. So politically, the Twin Cities is as bad as Seattle or California or you know Oregon or you know some some of that stuff with with the governmental regulations. Having said that, um, I like living here. My daughter lives here with her kids, mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't do that. And then the fact that you know Joanna and I are so blessed. I mean, we we can travel. I mean, we we spend a good share of the winter time in warm climates. Yep. I'm I'm not going to go to Reykjavik in uh, February. You know? Have you been to Croatia by any chance? I have not, but my partner Pete, he's Serbian. He's he's been over there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I uh I have had the I've gone there three times in the last oh, really? like five years. Are I've, you Croatian? No, but I I went there sailing one time. Cool. And I just sort of fell in love with it. I I sailed the Italian uh, islands, and then we did went, did the Croatian islands. And there's just the food is somewhat similar to mm-hmm. Italy, mm-hmm. strangely, but down in the south, you know, you're eating from the coast. Right. I would highly recommend it for you. It's just oh, really, yeah. um, and the people are beautifully beautiful people, just yeah. lovely. Yeah, no, I, I that, that that could be on my bucket list. Um, how about Budapest? Have you been there? I'm going there. Yeah, I have. I have, and that's uh, my next trip. You know, you know what's funny about Budapest? We we were there a number of years ago, just after they started to become westernized, and uh, we'd go to the restaurants, and you'd go in, and the and the tabletops would be beautiful with the starch white linen, and then it had the napkin folds that were you know this high, you know, twisted. Yeah, like a cone. Yeah, like a cone. Yeah, and the candles, flowers, all of that, and you would order your food, and the entree would come with say veal or, or something. But then it would come with canned peas. So they just weren't quite, didn't quite get it. They, yep. You know, it was, and not mushy peas like London, but uh, just months canned peas. Oh, so gosh. This, this, I, I'm sure they're, they've caught on now. Well, I am really uh, pleased to spend time with you today. And I have enjoyed talking with you very much. Thank you for coming and being a part oh, yeah. of the show. I really look forward to what's next for you. You uh, I'm excited about Field Day yeah. uh, by the Good Earth, and it will be in Ridgedale Fast Casual in fall of 2016. I invite you to come back on any of my shows anytime. It's really just give, been give, lovely give to spend call. time with you. Yeah, give a call. Love it. Thanks, Phil. Okay, you bet.